This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Politics works in patterns. Elections happen on a regular basis. They tend to repeat themselves, except when they don't. Most of the time, for instance, presidents see their parties lose seats in midterm elections. It is, after all, when the voters can let the chief executive know what they think of him when he's not on the ballot. So however the public feels about a president tends to be linked to the fate of that president's party. Unless something else happens. We might be in one of those outlier election cycles when politics doesn't always match up with how we expect it to. Roll Call's elections analyst, Nathan Gonzalez, makes it his business to make sense out of campaigns and elections, candidates and results. His latest piece in Roll Call, Biden on Pace to Buck History, is sort of a sequel to a column he wrote earlier this year for Roll Call. If history is a guide, Biden ain't getting any stronger. Nathan, the Steve Martin of uh, political theater uh, guests, welcome back to political theater. Thank you. Yeah. Do I get a, a jacket or something uh, <laughs> when I reach a certain number of appearances? I need something to distinguish myself from the rest. Uh, well, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because we do have some of those old Century 21 uh, realtor jackets uh, that they used to wear on uh, Monday Night Football, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have it shipped over to your, your house uh, right, right after this because you're, na- you're now on rec- record setting pace. Again, you know, the Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin status for SNL uh, hosting. <laughs> or maybe I should be. Well, that Happy Gilmore quote is a uh, gold jacket, green jacket, and you can you can look up the rest, I guess. Uh, <laughs> But happy to be here, Jason. Uh, it's it is good to have you back, and and I th- I thought that this was um, this is a good way to open up, uh, if you will, back to school season. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you have you have several kids that are back in school, and you're saying, thankfully, Thank God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but also, Congress is back in session at least for a few weeks before they hit the road again, probably for the rest of the election cycle. So we've got a furious few weeks where there will probably be some political posturing, but. Really, the the story of the summer was that, you know, President Joe Biden and his Democratic Party controlled in both the House and the Senate. They were able to notch a few legislative wins. Uh, They got their Build Back Better uh, bill passed. Uh, A couple other, uh, you know, big ticket items that they were able to do. And then also, you know, we've got some other things happening, shaking out in the in the political realm, like the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the national right to an abortion. And let's let's go through you know what you've seen you know in in the president's poll numbers because at the beginning of the year inflation was running you know crazy and we still have a problem with inflation uh gas prices were on the rise people were in a sort of a sour mood and it showed in the president's approval ratings yeah i think if we if we take a half a step a half a step back every election cycle you develop hypothesis right you you think early in the cycle this is what based on history based on the past election based on the current battleground you what we think is going to happen and then in the final months of the campaign you start to test okay is that indeed what is happening based on current data and for much of the cycle it looked like a fairly typical midterm election uh, where you have that referendum on the president the president has been unpopular uh, since the exit from 
from Afghanistan. And thus, uh, and Republicans have, they need so few seats, you know, just one in the Senate and a net gain of five in the House that it looked like Republicans were well positioned. Um, I think that the the key, the catalyst for the sl- at least slight change in this midterm has been the Dobbs decision and the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And I would add the subsequent actions Republicans have taken in some states to go even further than the Dobbs decision to really restrict all access to legal abortion in some states. And that has given, that has energized and solidified the Democratic Party. One of the reasons why Biden's numbers got so low, his job approval rating, is because even some Democrats weren't on board with what he was doing. So having a common enemy, the common threat of uh, losing access to abortion, has pulled his numbers up a little bit. Now in that in that roll call piece, uh, you know, it was from he was at forty percent job approval rating in in uh, January, according to Gallup. He's all the way up to forty four uh, in the August poll. So uh, you know. The, Democrats that are on the ballot would, rather, would like that improvement, but they also don't want an election that is a referendum on Biden because still, according to Gallup, 53% of uh, folks that responded to the poll uh, disapprove of the job he's doing. And so that, again, it bring, that brings in the Dobbs decision once again. And it, it puts Republicans in the spotlight. It, it has forced them to take issue positions and at least be a part of the conversation. So rather than a simple referendum, we are having something closer to a choice election. That doesn't guarantee Democrats are going to hold control of one or either chambers of Congress, but that's a better positioning in a more competitive fight. One of our previous podcasts, uh, we talked about the generic ballot, the uh, polling and, and what this measured and how um, it's a um, it, it's it's something that is useful to keep track of where the generic poll uh, is, uh, and but it, it isn't the end all be all for one. It tends to underestimate the number of Republicans uh, who who vote sometimes. But there's been a trend there too. Outside of just presidential approval ratings, there's been a trend that's become, you know, it, it's still somewhat at parity if you look at compilations of polls and so forth uh, that it, you that you would still rather be a Republican at this point, I think, uh, is, is safe to say, looking at those numbers. But it seems to uh, not be the the death knell, you know, for Democrats' chances in, in the fall. Yeah, I think I sufficiently downplayed my enthusiasm for the national generic <laughs> oh, ballot. Yes. In that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel, everyone can feel free to go back and listen to that if you'd like. And I, I stand it, by it. It but will be in the you, show notes for sure. When you put that in context with everything else, right, that modest Biden improvement, Democrats now having a narrow lead on the national generic ballot. Special elections that have been happening. Uh, Amendment one in Kansas that was focused on abortion. Special elections in congressional elections in Can- in uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, two in New York, Alaska, all had Democratic overperformance. You start to say, hey, we need to pay attention to whether something uh, is different or something else is going on than what would have happened six months ago or a year ago. Now, where I think we are today is that as we dive into the individual house races, the polling there doesn't has not shown a significant democratic movement or significant movement in favor of Democrats. Uh, it has shown that the environment isn't getting any better for Republicans or worse, but I, I just want to see that individual district level data uh, see what it looks like over the next couple of weeks, because that's that's really what matters. It's not the national stuff. 
um, but it could be that the um, that those are a lagging indicator, and that over the next couple of weeks we're going to see it, or or we won't. Maybe maybe the special elections were special, and there were unique circumstances to explain those away. But uh, we're in this holding pattern here uh, just after Labor Day. And and yeah, the the House also you know polling on House districts, especially new ones, right? You know we're we're just coming out of a, a reapportionment, so we have a bunch of new districts. This tends to be a time that pollsters get a little squirrely and and throw in more caveats than than normal. Um, I mean that that is a really uncertain thing. It's a little uh, the, and the dynamics are different at the statewide level too. You know, so, so that the you know the the way that we're looking at candidates at the statewide level in say. Nevada or my home state of Arizona or Florida or New Hampshire or Ohio or Pennsylvania or North Carolina where the where the majority will be made you know uh, in in this uh, election cycle for the Senate those are different right I mean like the Kansas referendum you said I mean that was it was one of those weird things where it was a primary but it was a statewide primary for, right. <laughs> right yeah but it was still you know hard to hard to ignore 60 to 40, uh, you know, that, that kind of margin. And know. there weren't a lot of reasons for Democrats to come out in Kansas on primary night and unless they wanted to make a statement about that specific, um, that specific issue. I, I think the tightening of the, let's call it the tightening of the political environment increases the importance of candidate quality. And that's where Senate races have become more interesting that races Again, six to 12 months ago where Republicans were kind of flying high, it was tough to see how Democrats were going to win states that Biden won narrowly. Now, because Biden's doing a little better, environments improved a little for Democrats, more of the focus is on these Republican candidates who are lower tier candidates who are facing some of Democrats' top tier incumbents, right? The Mark Kellys, the Raphael Warnocks, who are just... Uh, you know, tough, tough to beat. And now it's more of an even an even fight. I will say that contrasting that with the House side, I think Republican candidates are actually pretty good um, that when if it comes down to candidate quality, they're on a little bit more firm footing. You have candidates who are either diverse in, in one form or another or who just ran a tough race. Maybe they and fell short, but now they're running again. So I think the candidate quality is uh, is enough there on the Republican side in the House. And if you're in the minority, as the as the Republicans are now, as as you you know, we sort of have talked about at the top of the podcast here, you want the the election cycle, a midterm election cycle, to be about your opponent, about the a referendum on the president. I mean, that's the person who's on TV all the time. That's that's who takes you know like the 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 blame for things like you know the you know, withdraw from Afghanistan uh, or inflation. It's just easy, you know, like the, the meme of thanks Biden, you know, like I've, I've seen that a lot. I mean, in traveling this summer, I saw a lot, on a lot of gas pumps, you know, a, a caricature of Biden pointing at the gas price saying, I did that. Um, I mean, it, 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 it tends to snowball. And so this must drive Republican strategists crazy to have Trump out there making the election kind of about him. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I, I couldn't help but notice that like in the um, in, in a release announcing uh, an Ohio event, the word Republican did not appear uh, in hit from his Save America account or, or organization. Uh, you know, it said like Donald Trump will be there to rally with the entire Ohio Trump ticket, not the Republican ticket. It was the Trump ticket. And that that kind of um, 
splash is probably not what somebody like, say, Mitch McConnell would prefer right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Republicans who are that their focus is to win back the majorities uh, want to stay focused on Democrats, right? And 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 if because if this election is about, do you think Joe Biden's doing a good job? Do you think the economy is doing well? Then Republicans are going to do well in that election. But Trump is just a, he. But he wants to be a part of the conversation, forces himself into it with rallies and endorsements. But he also becomes part of the conversation as a result of multiple investigations, whether they're on Capitol Hill, January 6th, Select House Committee, FBI, Mar-a-Lago, all that. He, he's just constantly in the news. And Steve remind- Bannon's latest uh, venture in New York. Uh, for on yeah, a gun. <laughs> I mean, what what day isn't there someone you know in the in Trump world um, getting in legal in legal trouble? And it just it muddies the it muddies the message for Republicans who are it. I, I mean, it's not with Trump. It's about Trump. And sometimes Republicans have been successful in the wake of that or because of that. But for, Trump does not care about the. Uh, the future of the Republican Party or the betterment of the Republican Party. It's about him. And I would say, too, that the if you look at the former president's numbers, Donald Trump, uh, they're they're they, they they sync up pretty well with Biden's like uh, they're <laughs> for the most part, a, a majority, a solid majority disapprove. Uh, of, of each man, uh, a solid majorities in a, in a recent uh, YouGov uh, economist poll said that uh, they didn't want either one of them to run in 2024, <laughs> uh, and and they're and they're underwater in, in approval ratings, and so the you know the, again this this must just drive some strategists nuts you know to see Trump out there when they could just have you know Biden you know taking all the arrows. Yeah. Um, the, one one thing I I just want to know too that the you know, the, there are different ways to run a, a campaign and, you know, the, the, you know, members of Congress have their own campaign committees they've set up. Rick Scott, the former governor of Florida and now uh, senator from, from Florida, junior senator from Florida, he is the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. And he is, seems to be in this a bit of a mild disagreement with the Senate majority or Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, about messaging uh, and about what they want to say. Rick Scott likes to, you know, put himself out there and say, I'm going to deliver this message. And that's not really McConnell's style. But again, it's if Rick Scott is saying, look at me, he's that's not saying look at Biden. (laughs) Yeah, it's gosh, I on the on the on the McConnell Scott fight, I I feel like I I can see it from multiple angles, right? I think McConnell is trying to be sort of the 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 tough dad, right? Like delivering the tough love and say, "Hey, candidates," without specifically mention Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, you know, by name, just saying, "Get your act together, <laughs> like mm-hmm. pull it together," because we're trying to do this. And Rick Scott, as chairman of the NRSC. I think he wants all of his candidates to do better, but he is has to be a cheerleader. Like going around sandbagging your own candidates, that's not you know that's not going to help. But so I think that they probably having a, a a good cop bad cop strategy maybe with the candidates is the best uh, the best uh, way to go about it. But that is just fuel for Washington reporters and stories about conflict. You know, we everyone wants conflict, and that's. That's a little bit of what we have because Republicans should not be in this position. I understand that the Senate was always going to be tougher than the House, but the fact that they're having to spend money in Ohio rather than using that money in Colorado or Washington is a statement on the state of the cycle right now. 
And I mean, you do as, 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 uh, you know, your role as the founder and, and publisher of Inside Elections, uh, your, your organization, I mean, you do a fair bit of travel, uh, you know, around the country, you, you talk to different groups and, and explain what the political situation is, um, much more so. I mean, I, I got to travel a little bit in, in August and see, you know, different parts of the world, upstate New York one week, uh, up in near Utica, and then my home state of Arizona, a very, uh, Republican part of, of Arizona and Cottonwood, Arizona. Um, what, what are you, what has struck you, uh, in, in the last few months about traveling and what, how people process politics, what do they want to know and what, what are they, what are they asking you like to explain that may be different this time around? Yeah, most of it, most of the time it's my kids uh, asking me when we're going to eat or when <laughs> we're going to get the next treat. Um, I, I think it's been, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some some fun moments of over this summer. Um, I grew up in Oregon in the Willamette Valley, uh, grew up in Polk County, which is part of the new the newly drawn sixth district. For the last multiple years, our visit has aligned with the Polk County Fair, uh, including a visit to the rodeo that night. Um Jason, the name of the rodeo is called Hell on Hooves. And I'm like, <laughs> where? Just throw my money. I'll throw my money. Give me a shirt for anything called Hell on Hooves. But for those of you who have not, are not part of the rodeo, uh, the rodeo circuit, I think it's kind of a tradition at the beginning that the, uh, that the, that the person in charge, the, the announcer of sort, uh, sort of has a monologue at the beginning as a, as a young woman on a horse rides around uh, with an American flag. Uh, and it is a, um, uh, you just get a different perspective maybe than if you live in Washington, D.C. or another city uh, on, on the politics of the world. Uh, we spent some time, you know, in Idaho and Wyoming and Montana. And uh, it's just, it's a good reminder that uh, there, we have a very diverse country. Yeah. And I think what I think a lot of voters are really conflicted with, um, particularly independent voters are conflicted with uh, the state of the status quo is not working right there. The economy is, is struggling, crime, immigration, people, but also people don't want uh, to necessarily go back to Trump. And they are uncomfortable with how far they think Republicans might go with regard to access to abortion or maybe now we're talking more about same sex marriage, uh, that they're just uncomfortable with the alternative. And so they have they have a conflict there. Yeah, are we seeing larger numbers of undecideds, you think, at this point than than normal with, with, with a lot of these races, particularly the statewide ones? I mean, I get it on the House side because some people didn't even know who would be running until a month or two ago, but like people like Mark Kelly, you know, Raphael Warnock, uh, Herschel Walker. They, I mean, these are, these are people, these are almost like kind of known qualities uh, in, in a lot of these statewide races. I haven't noticed an abnormal number across multiple surveys. I mean, there'll be a certain survey where, uh, you know, you'll see it's a 43 to 38 and I'm like, that's just so in some ways that's not just un, that's not undecided voters. That's just a pollster who doesn't want to like uh, uh, in, include leaners or ask them right. to, you know, if you really have to make a choice. So I by and large, I, I think actually most Americans have figured have already decided which party they're going to support. The question is, are they going to turn out or not? And then what do independent voters, independent voters do? So I. Uh, I think the volatility that we're feeling in the election right now is in part because it's so close. The majorities are so close. And so any little movement 
can have a big impact. Um, it doesn't have to be a seismic event when we're only talking about plus one in the Senate or plus five in the House. Right. Um, what are you going to be looking for most closely, you know, as we're getting into the home stretch here? We're two, we're two months out. Yeah, I, I'm trying to look again at those house, uh, those ho- individual house polling and, and see um, not only is there an overall trend, but some of them are breaking maybe not as we quite uh, not as we thought. For example, I'm going to bring it bring it back to the Will- Willamette Valley in that sixth district of Oregon. There's no incumbent. Kurt Schrader represents about half of it, but he ran and lost in the in the neighboring fifth district. This is a district that Biden would have won with 55 percent. And so you would think that Democrats would be well positioned, particularly now that the Democratic you know, the environment's gotten a little bit better. But um, it's a real race. And um, Andrea Salinas is the Democratic nominee. Mike Erickson is the Republican nominee who ran and lost in a different configuration more than a decade ago. So we have to be willing to we have to try to identify what's going on on a broad scale. But some races are going to go against the trend. And that's trying to identify what those are um, is going to be fun. <laughs> there's, no, I guess I'm learning that there's no typical elections anymore. Everything is going to keep us on our toes and uh, make us make us work for it. But I, I can't complain. It's it's still fun. It's a it's a living for sure. <laughs> I hope I hope I hope it's I hope it's a living after this election. <laughs> we'll see. Well, Nathan, thank you for explaining some of this because I think that it is—it's not—it's not people's imagination. It really is sort of uncertain, and and we're you know we're doing our best, and I and I appreciate your uh, your insights for sure. Yeah. Well, anytime. Next time, maybe I'll uh, I'll get a chance to wear that jacket uh, that you're going to send to me. Oh, for sure. That's when we'll be back up on YouTube. You can you have my word on that. <laughs> Uh, if, if you would like to read Nathan's column, by the way, out there, those of you who are listening, it's available on rollcall.com and will be in our show notes. Uh, you might also want to check out Nathan's notes at our At The Races newsletter on Roll Call. You can subscribe to that on rollcall.com. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, or even if you have not, please subscribe and tell your friends and family. We're everywhere podcasts are. Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, you name it. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, which has all the show notes to say Nathan's Columns and all the other goodies on rollcall.com. Mm-hmm.